Hi, welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where relationships are the mission and we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. My name is Dusty Wallace, Worship and Creative Arts Director here at Quest, and I just want to tell you, you picked a great message to listen to today. On November 1st, 2015, we began celebrating the launch of Quest's new Thrive Counseling and Coaching Center. Along with it, we began a new four-week series also titled Thrive with panel discussions from members of our pastoral and counseling teams. Each message and discussion reaches into real-life issues and counters them with real-life counseling expertise and God's good plan for each of us. For more information about Thrive Counseling and Coaching Center, visit thrivecounselingandcoaching.com. There you will find everything you need to know about our counselors, services, donation opportunities, and our sponsors, Main Street Dental New Albany and Dr. James T. Hutta, DDS. As always, you can find out more about Quest, who we are, what we do, and opportunities to give and serve at gotoquest.org. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, today we're continuing uh, this month, all month, we're celebrating the grand opening of Thrive Counseling Coaching Center, and we're doing a series along with that called Thrive, and I want you to welcome, with you, if you would, Meredith and Wendy to the stage. They're going to help me. Actually, they're going to do most of the message today, so <laughs> welcome them. And what we're dealing with this in, this in this series is how do we grow as people in a very practical way. Uh, the very first message we talked about uh, how the fact that uh, being spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy, healthy are actually tied together. We can't really be one without the other. And in that message in particular, we talked about the fact that we need to understand that those things that we label negative emotions and oftentimes negative thoughts in our life are actually gifts from God that we need to learn to pay attention to because if we pay attention to them, he brings understanding, he brings wisdom to us, and he allows us to move through those difficult things to a thriving life. But if we don't, if we avoid them like we want, like we like to all too often, they just sit there. And we're going to talk more about that today as well. And the next message that we talked about uh, that once we've made these fr- feelings our friends and we learn to press into them and pay attention to them, what are we looking at? And the second message we talked about, the main thing we look at first and foremost is what's the motivation driving that feeling? What's the belief? What's the value? What's the emotive experience? What are the messages we're telling ourselves in our head that are providing the energy to that motivation? It's really the starting place of understanding that uh, for us to be able to have what we all talk about. We all say we want to grow from the inside out, right? Well, we have to pay attention to the inside. We have to understand those things and allow God to meet us in those things if we're ever even going to hope to to grow from the inside out. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about how we... Um, how we go about growing in that way. And we're going to try to do that by narrowing our focus to something that I think all of us will be able to relate to. It's, it's those memories that we have that maybe from distant past even that still pop up in the present and they cause us difficulty and they may even hijack us so much in a present situation that we're not able to deal with it or we project on this situation that past thing and it ends up being unproductive to us and unhealthy to us in our relationships. Let me give you an example of one of mine. A memory for me that comes up and hijacks me on a regular basis still all too often is a memory from high school. I played basketball in high school and, uh, and I had a coach, his coach, coach Gary was his name. 
and I had him for three of my four years in high school. And Coach Gary was very unpredictable. He yelled a lot. He would get mad at a game, and he would regularly pull people from the game and bench you and then, and then, and then yell at you and yell at you when he put you back in, saying, if you don't fix what you're supposed to do right, then I'm going to pull you again. But the problem is he usually didn't tell you what you did wrong. And so even if you asked, he would not tell you what you did wrong. He'd just say you're supposed to know, right? And he was capricious and unpredictable in other ways as well. My junior year, I started off the first third of the season starting as, a, not starting, but being the sixth man. And I actually was playing more time than a couple of the starters having better stats than them because I was able to sub at four different positions. And over Christmas break that year, my family decided to go to Tulsa to visit my brother and his wife for Christmas. And so I went along and I decided, well, I can't miss practice, so I'm going to pay my own money to get the 24-hour bus ride home so that I get home early and only miss one day of practice. And I talked to my coach about this. He wasn't real happy, but he said, okay. I get back, and the consequence for missing one day of Christmas practice was I didn't play again until the last 13 seconds of the last game of the season. In fact, he, that, the rest of that season, he made me not only sit on the bench, but he insisted I sit at the end of the bench. And even in, we had several games that we cleared the bench, everybody played but me. And that's the, that kind of a memory comes back up. And if I face a moment where it feels like it's going to be unfair, where it feels like my effort is going to be treated with capriciousness, by someone, or if, or if my kids are facing even something that smacks somewhat similar, I can go back to that memory instantly, and I can have all those feelings, and I can be arguing in my head what I wish I would have told Coach Gary or what I wish I could have told him years ago. And the message for me is you're not always going to get a fair shake. Sometimes just the capriciousness of other people is going to undermine you, and you can't do anything about it, and it just puts you in this helpless, helpless feeling in this helpless place. Now... Some of you are thinking, well, gosh, Ross, let it go. That's 35 years ago, <laughs> right? Except for the fact that probably every single one of you has a memory like that, too. And maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a really painful experience in a relationship. Maybe you were abused or something like that. And that stuff keeps popping up in your present life and causing difficulty in your relationships. Um, you know, I don't understand why you can have those wonderful memories that we have in our life, but it's often those ones that are less pleasant that seem to be remembered stronger. And for me, one of my less pleasant memories is from 6th to 12th grade, I was in an on-and-off-again relationship, which is understandable in middle school, a little bit less understandable in high school. But um, So I just never knew when we were on as a couple, when we weren't. Um, sometimes I'd heard from the grapevine he liked somebody else, other times... I did something that he was upset, but he never... It wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It, but he never would tell me. Like, you know, so I was just like, oh, okay, I guess things are off. And, you know, it's just like, you know, we didn't... I didn't even get a text, you know. I mean, I know there weren't cell phones back then, but I had no information. So, you know, why did I stay open to that kind of relationship for so long? I mean, that's, that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and memories can be so vivid and feel so much like the present that, you know, we actually feel like we're reliving that moment and they're very clearly visible to other people around us and you know I remember an experience um, of a little boy when I was working at a domestic violence shelter and um, he was about five at the time and we were downstairs in the children's counseling area and we were just you know establishing trust and building rapport and really just getting to know each other and 
we were sitting at a little kid's table and we were coloring and talking and the school age children, the older kids were dropped off and came home from school and you know, they, they run inside and they're throwing their backpacks around and they're greeting their mom and, you know, talking about their day and starving, of course, they need their snacks and just kind of rambunctious, you know, how they usually are after school. Well, for the little boy I was with, the noise that was going on upstairs invoked a really fearful memory for him. You know, it put him right back into that experience of witnessing trauma, witnessing abuse and violence in his home. And so he, he hid under the table. And, um, you know, I went under there with him, and it's a little tight because it was the kid's table. But, um, you know, we, we talked about that, you know, he was safe here, and we grounded and anchored, you know, himself to the present. So that means, you know, you touch the table, you touch the floor, you touch the chairs to bring your mind back to the present. But that noise upstairs, you know, invoked such a fearful memory for him that it felt real. And, you know, I too have had an experience where a noise, a voice invoked a fearful memory for me. Um, about 13 years ago, I was in a robbery and at the time, the man's voice was so clear. It was aggressive and it was loud and it was demanding. It was just one of those voices I thought I would never forget. Well, he ended up being involved in a string of robberies in the area. So they had arrested him and it came time for us to do the lineup and, you know, try to identify him. And I, I, I couldn't, I, by the way he, you know, I, I just couldn't pick him out visually. So I asked, you know, the detectives if they would allow him to speak because I thought maybe that would help jog my memory. And they did. And I still could not identify him. And, um, it, you know, when they, when they did speak, it wasn't a very, it, it was in a very calm manner. So it wasn't that aggressive, loud voice that I had heard. But, you know, we, we left it at that. I, I went on, I worked through, you know, what everybody does going through a traumatic experience. And I worked through the anger and the fearfulness and the hypervigilance and just everything involved with that. And I kind of thought I had settled it. I kind of thought that memory was done and gone. Well, um, as we know with memories, sometimes they resurface at the most strange times or just random times. And for me, it was five years later after the robbery and several states away that I was on my way home from work and, you know, it was a nice day. So I had my windows rolled down. I was just enjoying my time and pull up to a stoplight. And there in the car next to me, I hear a voice that resembled that of the man from the robbery. And that fear response in me was so illicit, you know, that I immediately just grip the steering wheel and, you know, cause it took me back to that moment and I had to do those same techniques like with that little boy, you know, I had to ground myself, you know, feel where I was and bring myself back to the present and reassure myself of my safety. And, you know, by the time I got up the nerve and the courage just to look over, you know, it was just a couple of guys. They were being real animated, telling a story. They were loud. They were harmless, but the, the trigger of that voice was, you know, so powerful that it did bring up those memories from the past. And, you know, memories themselves, sometimes like the ones that we've shared or the ones that you have, just seem like they would be better off forgotten. You know, we just wonder, what is the purpose of carrying this around with us anyways? You know, why, why do they seem just forever trapped inside of our mind? 
Well, there have been just countless psychologists who have studied and you know, looked at the neurological research of why our brains do store memories like they do and what the purpose of that is. And what they've determined is that as we take in information, we, you know, that information is distributed throughout our brain. And then it goes through a consolidation process, kind of like an encoding, where the short-term information, the short-term memories are then coded into long-term memories. And, um, you know, with those, those memories, they're actually like little groups of neurons that are primed to fire in the same way as the original experience. So they are designed to replicate the experience we had. And, you know, God did not design our brains on a small scale by any means. And so because we have those, you know, memories so solidified in our brain, um, you know, we, you know, just can remember them so vividly and we cannot deliberately delete them. We don't have, you know, control over what is in our minds. He made our brains that, you know, are so massive that they can store unlimited information indefinitely. And, you know, furthermore, when we, you know, have an experience that has an emotional component to it, it's, you know, it makes a stronger imprint and a stronger influence in our lives. And, um, you know, the awesome part about it, though, is that God created our brains to also have you know, areas that allow us to think rationally and allow us to problem solve and help us determine the purpose of those memories. And one of those um, purposes is really to distinguish when that memory is something from the past from something that is in the present. And so when you have a trigger to make you believe that you were reliving something from your past, that's an intrusive memory. And that's like something where that little boy, you know, experienced or, you know, something that I had experienced with reliving um, the, uh, you know, the, the robbery that I went through. And some of the ways to, you know, handle that are what I described, like the grounding techniques, the anchoring, you know, the mindfulness and bringing yourself back to the present and reminding you that you're safe where you're at. Um, another purpose, a second purpose of our memory serves as a way to remind us and serve like as a warning that we're in a situation where something painful has happened before. And, you know, if you kind of take the example of, you know, if you're driving to work and you've got your cell phone in the seat next to you and, you know, you hear it ding, there's a text alert. And so you glance over and you look at it, you know, you want to make sure it's you know, not something from work or your spouse or your kid needs something from school. And you glance over it and you pull back to your attention to driving and you have a near-miss accident. Well, your brain stored that information so that the next time your cell phone rings while you're driving, you're going to be thinking about that you might be in an accident. So it's kind of serving as a warning there for you. And finally, sometimes the purpose of the memory you know, is that it's trying to teach us something that we need to settle, you know, that there is something from our past that's coming up in the present and that we need to take time to make the connection and really, you know, address those situations. Like in Ross's example with his coach or, you know, Wendy's with her ex-boyfriend. And, you know, so whether it's a memory that's intrusive or it's serving as a warning or it's 
indicative of something that we really need to settle in our lives, we do need to do something about it because, you know, our brains are just too complex to just try to will ourselves to forget it. And eventually they just keep coming back up, just like in this clip. You gotta fix that step. Two at a time, two at a time, two at a time. You gotta fix that step. Fix that step. Just, let's just, just trust it. Fix that step. Just know I will handle this, okay? I asked you to do one thing, stay on top of Luke. For your information, your son is hard at work on an awesome Van Gogh. You gotta fix that masterpiece. Wait till you see. I will now be able to do all night long. It'll only take one minute. You'll have a minute. Who's going fixing? Friend of your mom's. Not now! Dad, get up here! On my what? Seriously, I just fixed that. Sorry, I didn't. You filthy. Oh. I think cut, Phil. <sighs> Phil? Hey, Phil, where are you? Phil? You know, so when we don't address things from our past, when we don't, you know, fix that step, it ends up affecting ourselves and affecting others. You know, poor Claire. You know, she always has to deal with, with Phil never fixing that step. So, you know, they end up catching us at times when we least expect it. And those past memories, I mean, they just literally trip us up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Meredith talked about the brain, but the cardinal role that our brain has is that the future equals our past. Our brain is automatically prepares you and to believe that what happened before is going to happen now. So any sight, smell, sound, like any fragment of that scene, um, like where you were, where you were harmed, it's going to set off an automatic behavior. And so we want to be really mindful of those cues that we have in our life. Because maybe that's a specific date, like an anniversary of a loss. Um, a specific smell of a perfume, a food, a repugnant smell. Maybe it's a song, um, a place, or you find yourself, like Ross was talking about, in a similar situation. And it's also really helpful to know that memories are just not static. They're all connected. My on-and-off relationship with my boyfriend was exacerbated by uh, all the factors at home. You know, my mom was chronically ill for most of my life, so every day we didn't know. It depended. What was going to happen was based upon how mom was doing, right? So... Those issues and those memories, along with others, led me to live like, when is that next shoe going to drop, right? I lived in more a hyper-vigilant kind of stage, that flight-fight mode, which is, you know, called anxiety, right? So um, they, 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 they are all connected. In school, we learned that 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 6, right? I don't do that well in math, but I do know that that was the answer. Um, you know, it's, it's 6. That's the correct answer for math. But it's not the correct answer when it comes to memories because the whole is more than the sum of its parts, meaning that that six is much more than six because memories build upon each other. My high school relationship was complicated by my other experiences in my life. So let's say that you have a friend who recently had a distant relative who died, and you're really confused because they're inconsolable, and you're thinking, you didn't even hardly know them. But what you do know about your friend is that within the last seven years, They've gone through numerous losses, maybe the loss of a parent, the loss of a job, maybe even a divorce. And so we have to realize that previous memories, previous losses affect our current memories. And so especially when there's unresolved issues such as grief. Yeah, and as we go into Thanksgiving, you know, we're going to be around a lot of family and a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, isn't it just funny how we can be very well-adjusted adults? And then all of a sudden we're around somebody and we just time travel back into that moment where they used to annoy us and they used to drive us crazy. And 
And, you know, it reminded me of last week when Natalie spoke, you know, and she was talking about being before her old principal as an adult, you know, there to enroll her children. But all of a sudden, you know, hands start sweating, forehead starts sweating, she gets a headache. I mean, she just kind of time traveled right back to when she was a child and that anxiety started to develop. And, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it might be for you that brother that used to terrorize you as a child, you know, he used to chase you around and pin you down and make sure you knew your place in the world. Or maybe it was, uh, <laughs> that's you, right? <laughs> or maybe it, maybe it was that sister, you know, who always got all the attention and um, was spoiled and, you know, you never got to shine. You know, or maybe it was just some subtle messages, you know, that you just heard growing up. And so they just, you know, there's some unrest with you when you see those people that, that gave you those messages. Well, you know, you find yourself at the Thanksgiving table with a smile on your face, you know, just completely determined not to bring it up this year. But really, you're just ready and waiting. You know, you're ready for your brother to just make that comment so you can be on defense and you can, you know, show that you're stronger now or you're, you know, waiting for your sister to just start getting all the attention, and so you, you're just wanting and waiting, you know, to, to share all your accomplishments and everything that your children have done and, and whatnot. Or maybe you're just sitting there quietly, you know, you silence yourself, or maybe you keep yourself busy, you know, just fighting those messages that you've heard, you know, as a child or, you know, a young adult. And, um, you know, you, you end up just leaving exhausted. You know, those past memories have just completely hijacked the moment and um, really taken over the course of the present time. Well, another way you can recognize that your past is tripping you up is really in your reactions to others. You know, if your responses are really intense to others, you might realize that, hey, maybe I'm responding this way because it's something from my past. And, um, you know, if you think about it, when you're on the re you know, receiving end of that, you know, and somebody kind of gives you an over-exaggerated response. I mean, you are kind of wondering, like, what's this from? Is this from this ex-boyfriend, you know? Or is this something I did wrong? And, um, you know, when you aren't aware of how intense your emotions are, you know, it ends up affecting your relationships. And, you know, people have trouble trusting your words. They have, you know, trouble trusting your actions because they're not sure if it's something that they did or if it is just something that's, you know, been unsettled from your past. Um, you know, communication ends up being argumentative and defensive. It becomes emotionally driven and just overall unproductive. And, you know, others feel, you know, that you're kind of unpredictable and your relationships just end up kind of strained. Well, in contrast, you know, a healthy relationship is one where there is loving honesty, you know, where there is open communication, where you feel heard and understood, you feel mutually respected, and you feel bonded. You know, you have similar interests and goals, and you just, you feel emotionally and physically safe. And when you aren't handling your emotions well, when you aren't metabolizing them well, you know, you begin to lose those bonds in your relationships. You end up missing out on the joy that comes from friends and comes from family and, and marriage and, you know, the close relationships in your lives. And you end up missing out on the God-given gifts of, you know, joy and love and connection and support. So, mm -hmm. so how do we live in a way that our memories don't trip us up, derail us? How do we actually settle them and grow through them? 
But first, it's, it's good to know like what settling past memories is not about. It's not about making you forget the past because that's impossible, right? It's not about you waiting for time to heal all wounds because it's false to believe that if we just don't think about our past that it's somehow going to go away. The truth is if we have undealt with or unhealed memories that opens us up to habitual sin against God and against others. If I don't deal with my stuff from my past relationships and, and stuff, I'm going to sin against Ross. I'm going to sin against others. Maybe I'll withdraw. Maybe I'll become more demanding. Um, settling memories does also not mean that you stuff or ignore your feelings. Um, that creates other problems like addictions, and nor does it mean that you're going to wallow endlessly in your emotions, okay? Because that's just stupid, right? Okay, so emotional health means that we're going to be aware of how our past affects our present. We don't look at everything in our past, just the stuff that's messing up, tripping us up now in our present life. Our goal is to settle those memories so we can think and feel in a more peaceful and freeing way. And there's many, many ways that God brings health into our lives regarding our past. Um, we, we're going to focus in on a couple steps. In the first Thrive message, we talked about spiritual and emotional health being beginning with um, growing in self-awareness. I love the scripture I was reading this last week from Lamentations 3.40, and it's, it instructs us, let us examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. So I was looking up the Hebrew meaning for each of those words. Let us examine, search, investigate, and probe. Our ways, our journey, our path, the manner in which we live, and let us return. Let's bring them back to the Lord. I mean, the Bible tells us to look at ourselves, not in a navel-gazing, but a thorough, evaluative, um, serious evaluation of who we are and what we're doing. So the question is for you, where do your memories lead you? How are you doing at examining them and processing them and turning them back to the Lord? Now, I've seen it myself and in others where a painful memory keeps being played over and over in your head, and it's just hard not to ruminate on it. You know, and, and usually that rumination leads to thoughts and feelings that you don't really want to have. It doesn't go in a good direction. And so when you simply say, like, well, just stop thinking about it, it doesn't work. Why? Because there's an invitation in that memory for something more. So let's take time to examine. And sometimes, unfortunately, our memories have occurred when it's been something that has done to us that has been harmful to us and you know as we take time to go through that examination process you know we know that there is a place for forgiveness and it can often seem you know trite to say i just need to forgive when it's when we think about it as a really simple you know one-time occurrence but what we know that as we are examining um you know, our, our past as we're dealing with our memories, the forgiveness really is a crucial part of this process. And in Hebrews, um, Hebrews twelve fifteen, you know, it's, it's important. The, the verse says, you know, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. And so really forgiving requires processing the consequences of the experience and relating it and understanding it and how it has cost you, you know, what it has this experience cost your relationships, you know, how has it cost you your time and, you know, has it cost you your ability to trust others? You know, we really need to, to take that time and look at it. And um, in Psalms, we see that, you know, David cries out to the Lord with his intense feelings and thoughts. And really only when we take the time to do the same thing, are we really more fully able to grieve and understand 
the loss that you know occurred as the result of our experiences so and you know sometimes it really is nobody's fault you know it could have just been an accident but it still hurt us it still affected us it's still part of our memories and it's still something that we need to you know examine you know how it has cost us and how it's affected us so um, really it's just important to continually examine ourselves and you know bring it back to God through the process mm -hmm. does anybody know who this adorable little guy is does anybody know it Seeing this childhood picture of himself, this is a famous actor, director, writer. His name is Tyler Perry. Does everybody know who Tyler Perry is? Medea, all those, okay. Um, but he, was, he saw this picture and helped bring some healing to some painful memories that he had um, that he kept struggling with as an adult. Um, Tyler Perry has talked about openly how as a young boy he was targeted by his dad um, and was physically beaten throughout his childhood. And he talks about hiding under the house to avoid his dad. And he recalls one specific time when he was about the age in this picture, where his dad told him to change the tire on the car. Tyler tried and tried. It was rusted. He couldn't get it off. So his father mocked him and just said, you know, how totally incompetent he was. And then his father took over the job, and he tried to do the change the tire as well, and he couldn't, he couldn't do it. Tyler couldn't help himself, and he smiled. Well, upon seeing that smile, his father just took off after him and beat him severely. Now, his mother did not stand up to his dad. The only thing that she felt like she could do was just keep bringing Tyler to church. And his faith has remained a guiding principle, guiding force in his life. And it was also in this um, age that he was first sexually abused, first by his friend's mother and then three other men. And Tyler has worked through many of his painful experiences, but even now when he shares as an adult, his past continued to affect his present such as if he was intimate sexually, he would find himself to immediately having to shower. The, that experience, although beautiful, triggered a complexity of emotions and thoughts. And one of the ways that he learned to work through his past was to write about those difficult experiences. And so what do we see in his movies? You know, Diary of a Blad, Mad Black Woman, all those. Um, you see a strong theme of the need and the power of forgiveness. Tyler will clearly state how the major part of his growth in life was understanding God's forgiveness and learning how to give forgiveness. I mean, he talks about how it was so scary to let go of negativity and all the anger, but to do so, to forgive, freedom to be himself. And he has tried to live out his forgiveness with his father. He provides for him financially, giving him a house and everything. And that is an incredibly powerful choice because... We know that this is the same man that told him, if I had only beaten Tyler one more time, maybe he could have been Obama. I mean, forgiving his father did not justify his father's behavior, and it did not make his relationship close with his dad, but it did free Tyler from the pain of his past to engage in a more positive future. And now our memories do not have to be on the intensity of Tyler's for us to take time to process. At whatever level of intensity... If, that, if your memory is currently causing you or others to trip, right, we want to look at them. Maybe that memory is a conflict that you just had with your boss, or maybe it's with a friend. With any intensity of a memory, God wants to weigh in on them with us. And we all have memories that we've had something negative done to us, but often we have those memories of things that we've done, the things that we regret doing. And sometimes those memories play really long and hard, seemingly endlessly ruminating in our head. So how do we process both of those kind of memories? So for me, it's really helpful. I just love thinking about Jesus as the totally best counselor. 
I love reading about how he asked questions, like particularly with the woman at the well and how he affirmed her value and how he got her to look at her sin in ways that were so affirming. When we read scripture, a classic approach is to try to put you into the situation that's really happening, like trying to feel the air, trying to look at the faces and the characters that are in that story, because the Bible is trying to give us truth and help us, it sometimes helps us to experience that when we're reading. So to help us picture the way Jesus did counseling, I wanted to show a quick clip from John 21. And please um, don't get distracted by the color of his skin or how good looking he is or even his accent. I want you to stay really focused on how Jesus interacts with Peter. Now this was the third time that Jesus saw his disciples, but it's the first time that he talked with, with Peter about the betrayal that Peter did the night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. So what was the purpose of Jesus reminding Peter of his betrayal? Because he wanted him to look back and remember and deal directly with how he betrayed him. You know, Jesus had told him beforehand that he was going to betray him three times before the rooster crowed. And in spite of Peter's bravado that he wouldn't, he did. And so here in this example, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus asked Peter, look at your sin. Did Jesus rub it in his face? You know, Jesus wanted Peter to remember, to examine, and then give it back to the Lord. I mean, I just love how direct that Jesus was and how then he was able to experience the forgiveness and the acceptance that God had for him. Peter could not have received that depth of forgiveness if he didn't look directly at his sin and then to Jesus. So the question is for you then, you know, what do you do with your memories of your sins? And then why did Jesus do this before the other disciples? You know, to confront him publicly doesn't seem like it's the right thing. Was that just to humiliate him? No, Jesus wanted to model directly how to deal with sin. You know, he showed how he knew his heart better than Peter did. And Jesus modeled grace. And also by this interaction, it affirmed Peter's leadership in the church, not only for himself, but for for the other disciples. So the good news is that this invitation to process and experience, our experiences, our memories, 
is the same for us as it is for Jesus. That's what we get to do. And whether it's a memory of something done to us or whether it's something that we've done by us, God wants to weigh in how we think and feel about our past. How do we settle and grow through the memories that can trip us up? So I'm going to share four steps, just four steps that might be one, one way of processing dealing with them. And the first step would be to write or share your memory. Because when we don't share, either through writing or talking, that painful memory becomes stronger and more powerful in our lives. And by seeing it in black and white um, and paper or by sharing it with someone else, we can see that internal struggle more, more clearly. And we often see it in a different light. And research also shows that when we share our stories, our experiences, with somebody who really listens, it can help process, release, and even override our memories. It doesn't change what we happened, but sharing about it causes there to be a shift. And so the second step would be value the importance of metabolizing. Has anybody gotten to see that movie Inside Out yet? You know, yeah. Um, it has some profound thoughts on how to process and metabolize our emotions. And so just a spoiler alert for those that haven't, but it's about a movie of an 11-year-old girl named Riley, and she moves from Minnesota to San Francisco and with her family, and she has five emotions that manage her brain's control center. Yep. And the two main, two main um, emotions are joy in the middle and, of course, sadness on the side, the blue one, right? Um, the, and so the storyline is basically how do we recover joy after a traumatic experience? Riley has these core memories that develop and empower parts of her personality, such as she has great memories and a love for hockey, for friendship, for honesty, for family. They help make who she is. Joy sees absolutely no purpose for sadness and does not want her to touch any memory. The purpose is to always stay happy, right? But Joy learns that sadness helps others process the unhappy parts of her life. And, and so in that movie, it was really, Ross and I got to see it right with our daughter the day before we took her 800 miles away for her first experience at college, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't the best timing <laughs> choice, um, but, um, but it was a great way for us to talk about the bittersweetness. I mean, she's on a great new adventure. There's excitement. There's, you know, we have so much love for that girl, and, um, but it was also filled with fear on her part and our part and sadness, and so, um, and we got to talk about that just that we are experiencing a multitude of emotions doesn't mean that it diminishes our good memories, because in the movie, sadness allows other people to feel the pain and live with that. And it can be very fulfilling. Because sadness, sadness started going around and touching the memories. And at first it looked like it was going to destroy Riley's world. But it ad, ends up adding complexity and maturity. And that's what we do when we process or metabolize emotions. Because studies show that mature adults who do metabolize um, are happier than younger adults. Because we, we know that happy moments can end really quickly. But we, it, we allow it to increase our appreciation for them. The embracing of emotions leads to a more full life. And I think it's helpful to think of our emotions like food. You know, our bodies have a digestive system to metabolize food, and we have to think similarly about our emotions. Our emotions need to be digested, to be metabolized for our emotional well-being. So if we repress them, you know, maybe believing that certain feelings are just unacceptable, there's going to be consequences. So let's say a child was talking in class and telling his um, friend a joke while the teacher is teaching. Well, she scolds that child, and then they get after-school detention. Later, the child is, like, at home and telling the parent how upset and angry they are with the teacher. Well, the parent well, the parent says, well, you can't be angry with your teacher because they did the right thing, right? So what did the child learn from that encounter? That interrupting the class is not respectful. 
which is a good thing, right? Um, but also learned that it's not okay to have anger toward the teacher. And that if you want to be loved or valued by your teacher or your parent, you need to obey and push anger away. But remember again the Psalms. Again, emotions need to be processed, and your feelings are a way of navigating the world. So allowing that child to feel angry, as well as learning how to own their behavior, would have been a more helpful process. So as we take time to examine ourselves, many of us are going to see how a memory trips us up, and a lot of times we'll feel shame in that because of what, what's been done to us or what has been or what we've done. And um, real briefly, um, I talked in a message, I believe in God, but I don't think I can change. I talked about that struggle between shame and guilt, and it's something that's it's good to review. But in shame, it, it says, I am bad. But if I feel guilt, it's I did something bad. Shame is not, I did something I regret or I did something bad. Instead, I am bad for what I did. Shame leads us to think that if we failed or we did something bad or we didn't live up to our expectations or somebody else's or we didn't meet a goal, that we're unworthy. And so we're not good enough for love or we can't belong. That's not biblical. God does not use shame as a management tool for us to behave. And instead, like he did with Peter, he uses guilt which helps him see what he did that was wrong. And we see when we've done something wrong, it doesn't align with our values. Like if we've lied at work or we yell at our kids, we ask for forgiveness from God, from others, and, um, and then we're able to receive God's grace. Then we can make amends or we can try to change a behavior that doesn't align with them. Guilt helps us to live a more connected life with God, with other people. And so I was reading this quote this last week, and it's just something for you to think about. Um, it's written by um, Peter Scazzaro. He's a, a pastor of about 30 years, and he's an author. But he wrote, To feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of our personal God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. So the third step would be, um, what does God tell you? As you write out and talk about your memory, ask God to speak to you. I mean, he likes to talk. Um, listen for what he shares. And this is why we need a very, very strong foundation in the Bible. Our theology has to be solidly anchored in that we know who God is. So when we bring our memories to him and we're trying to listen for what he would want to personally say, we know that what we're hearing matches up with the Bible. So how would Jesus respond to you? What would he say to you about that experience? How would he want you to see yourself? Anchor into him. Like, write, da- write down, experience some truth. I mean, the bottom line that I usually land up in is God is always good. He has a promise and a provision for every problem I have. And it may not always be the provision that I wanted, but God has the ability to bring redemption out of the worst situations. I mean, what is God wanting to say about this experience to you? And then the fourth and the final step, reinforce or retrain yourself to see yourself the way that God sees you. For Tyler Perry, he saw that picture of himself as a young boy. And by looking at it, he was able to start rewriting the thoughts that he believed about himself. Because for years, he believed that there must have been something bad or wrong about him that made him a target not only for his father, but for all those other abusers. And when he was looking at that adorable, innocent kid, he could start owning the the truth that that abuse had nothing to do with him. He was innocent. And he could start feeling for himself and to grieve in a way as an adult that he couldn't as a kid. Grieving well is critical for our emotional, our spiritual health. 
And it's like your brain is a computer, and you have all these memories, and they're labeled with an old file name. And so in this process, you're asking God, what is the new title that you're wanting to give to this memory, this, this file that I have? And so for Peter, how would he rename that file? It might be a little long, but I came up with, like, Jesus loves me and believes in me even when I mess up. It's too long for a file name, isn't it? But, you know, um, but some of our memories... Some of our memories are really intense, and sometimes it's important to know that it's best to talk to them with with another person. But after you've processed a memory and all of its thoughts and emotions, sometimes those memories still bother us. I mean, Ross was talking about, like, how it came back for him with the coaching experience. Realize that's just still part of the process. It's your opportunity to ask God, is there more that you're still inviting me to learn about this or to deal with this? But if you really feel like your memory has been more resolved, like, and it keeps coming in an intrusive manner, one of the things that you can do is just use a thought-stopping approach. You know, you could focus on, okay, I'm having that memory, I'm going to focus back on what is that, re- that, that new file name I have. Or it could be something completely different. You might want to just try to choose to think about something with a really good memory, like when you had a good time at the lake playing with family or friends or or a good sunrise, or a really good OSU football game. Those would be things that you could try to redirect your thoughts. But the core of what we're wanting to talk about today is just your past does not need to define your future. Allow God to define you. Allow him to define your future. Let him speak to you in those memories that have kept tripping you up. He definitely wants to weigh in. One of the things Wendy said earlier is this is not about wallowing in stuff, but it is about being intentional. You know, she just gave you some thought-stopping things when you're struggling with something. Sometimes these things pop out. We don't have time to deal with them. But the point is, when are you going to deal with them? When are you going to schedule some time to deal with them? Like for me, this last week, there was some stuff I needed to process and think about. I couldn't deal with it during the week, during some of the stuff. But I took my kid to a game that I had to drop him off for and wait for him. And it was dark outside, so I just sat in the car. You make intentional time, but you don't stay there all the time. You just make intentional time to deal with stuff. And that's difficult. It requires us to begin to see God in relationship to who he is. That he's a God who leans into us. That he's a God that we're secure with. That he's a God who wants to be close to us even in that moment. Because if we can't see that, it's too scary for us. And we just choose to go do something else. Because we need that courage We need that bravery that comes from God loving us so much. And that's really what our next song is going to invite us to. So I want you to just join in worship and uh, and join in that idea of inviting God to come near to you. Let me just pray before we head there. Lord, I pray that for all of us today, uh, as we even talk about these memories, I'm sure that all of us had things come to mind. And for some of us, those things are are settled, but they just keep coming back and We need to move past them, but for many of us, we've never settled those things. We don't understand your file name for us and the way you think about us. We don't understand how you've redeemed that situation and want to make something beautiful out of it now, even though it was painful in the past. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come to us in these next days as we set aside time to learn to process these things well so that we gain your wisdom, your understanding, your healing, your hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. 
If you are loving Quest Podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. 